want to say 10.05, but does somebody know? Okay. All right. You guys are so gracious. Um, I know what you meant by calling us rock stars, Scott, but that's just... Okay. If that's what you meant, that's great. Um, yeah, if you're in ministry, you know that it's just... A rough thing to be put on a pedestal, probably Wes, right? Just that you know yourself too well to know that you're actually not a rock star at all. But um, yeah, God's grace has allowed us to to be connected with you guys for years and years. Um, actually, on June 1st, it was 25 years since I stood right here and Sue stood right there. Pastor Dick Steinson in between us. And check it out. Can you show that slide of our family? Um, this is what happens <laughs> as a result. Um, but just to catch you up on our family, we were wanting to be here last year, but obviously because of the pandemic we couldn't. But this is actually a year old now. Um, but that's our crew. And some of you know the 6'7 guy and the 6'4 guy. And Jessica just turned 24. You know them. You're remembering them in other stages of life, but praise God, we've got a, a great crew, and yes, Sue and I are grandparents, which most of you probably know since Facebook um, is a thing, but when you get married at 20 and have a kid at 21, you can become a grandpa by 45, so <laughs> that's exactly the timeline that, that I've been experiencing, and so... Um, slowly earning a few of the gray hairs that are showing up. Um, but yeah, like Scott said, we've been supported by you guys for 25 years now. Um, Paul Decker back in the day was just an advocate, and then um, Dick Pritz and uh, Bill Gerhardt and Scott Moyer, like all these guys have just been advocates and the, the pastoral staff and you guys individually have just been a key part of our lives and ministry. And actually, now we work on the mission field in Sanford, Florida. If you want to go to the next slide, this is Sue and I's mission field. Doesn't that look like unreached people groups? <laughs> Isn't that exactly what you envision when you think of unreached people groups? Um, Sue and I, we've, since the early days of our ministry, have just had a heart to be part of the support team that offers service and care and administrative support in any way that we can to our teams of coworkers that are church planters, that are investing their lives in, in seeing churches planted. And so... Our mission is actually part of a network of, we call them global partners. Um, Ethnos 360 USA is just one kind of branch of this global fellowship of mission organizations that are helping and working toward reaching unreached people groups with the gospel. Um, and our organization has over 1,300 members and probably over 500 retired members, members who have finished their ministry overseas and are in retired status, plus a number of training centers in the U.S. And so overall, we just help administer probably around 2,500 people and their affiliation with this thing called Ethnos 360. Um, I'm like 
I do missionary red tape. I'm like the, the HR guy that just kind of makes sure everyone's legally employed and that they're on our medical insurance plan. All those things that when I was in Guinea, West Africa, serving the Lord, I had no idea what was happening behind the scenes so that I could serve the Lord in, in that far-flung place from, from my home. And so we're part of that team. Sue actually helps coordinate our, our prayer program there at the home office. She collects and uh, organizes and distributes prayer updates from our, our coworkers all around the world and just makes it feasible for our teams to have up-to-date information with what's happening in, in different ministries around the world. Um, us and our global partners, we're engaged with about 400 and, let me see my list here, 420 people groups around the world. Um, some of those have had already generations of ministry happening, and there are churches that are standing on their own with occasional uh, investment from missionaries that speak the language. Others are just in their, their infancy as far as what is happening ministry-wise, where the missionaries have recently moved in and are learning language and culture. And so we are part of a really big team that includes a network of churches, just like you guys, just people that are living in the U.S. or other countries and just part of this effort to, to see people reached. And so I just put, the last, last slide is just, a thriving church for every people. I realize the font there is really dark against the backdrop, but big picture, that's exactly what Sue and I are, are giving our lives to and what you guys, knowingly or unknowingly, are supporting in supporting us. I think you're assuming that this is what's happening, and it is. Um, we are just so thrilled to have been able to give our lives in service so far to what we're just convinced God is doing here and around the world. Um, and at the heart of the mission, um, sometimes I think to myself, why is it that we're with Ethnos 360? Why that mission? Like, there's a lot going on in, in the world in, in the name of missions. And there's a few just core values about why we would say we're doing what we're doing. And, and some of it is methodology that we work with an organization that values any cross-cultural church planter person in ministry that values them understanding the heart language of the people. That the gospel is best communicated through a language that is at a heart level, the one that I communicate and understand what's true um, is best communicated in that language. Not that it's not possible through interpreters or languages that are secondary to a person, but we, we have this commitment to doing ministry in the heart language of the people and also commitment to anyone who does cross-cultural ministry, church planting, that they would work hard at gaining a clear understanding of the worldview of the people that they're working with, that there's not just assumptions made about what is believed or what is rejected or what is known about the world and how people view it. And so any one of our teams, not just 
American missionaries that are going over to Papua New Guinea or something like that, but even people from other countries that are our co-workers or even church planting efforts that have raised up believers that are now wanting to go reach other people groups, either neighboring people groups or further than that, that there's a value that, man, I need to build at a relational level, a clear understanding of how the people that I'm trying to reach view the world and view reality. And so we're really committed to that. And for the long haul, to see a thriving church for every people, we're also committed to having the word of God, the written word of God, put in the hands of the people. Um, Without the scriptures, and just think about how much scripture has just been used in this short time of worship together. Think of what a church would be like without that resource, that treasure that we have in our hands, the written word of God. And so uh, our co-workers throughout our history of, of, as a mission have completed over 100 New Testament translations and many have worked through the whole Bible. We have over 100 translations in progress right now and part of that is just a reflection of the value that if a, a church is going to thrive through generations post missionary, post-cross-cultural worker, when there's a, a church with um, leadership and, and body life taking place, that the written word is going to continue to feed and grow the church. And so those are just a few of the reasons why we are just committed to, to ministry with this organization called Ethnos 360. A lot of missions doing amazing work, but we are part of this one, and we're committed in sharing the same values as, as our coworkers. Um, and at the heart of it, I would say, is, is the gospel, as you guys constantly focus on here, you focus on the good news. And I, I want to get to Romans chapter 16, but as you consider the gospel, Paul you know, he, he recognized and, and most clearly described in the book of Romans, he recognized that this, this good news is not only what can bring a, a sinner from darkness into light, bring a, a person from death to life through understanding the good news of what Christ accomplished on the cross, but to this group at Rome, he was also wanting to preach the gospel to believers to continue laying out this good news for people who were already in Christ, who were in the Lord. And that is a deeply held value that we also have, that, that gospel transformation, that, that spiritual growth comes through consistent teaching, discipleship, modeling, and just doing life together over the long haul. And so... We've had churches that were planted back in the 80s, back in the 70s um, with believers and people that have come to know the gospel and churches meeting and yet there's just a continual pouring into those lives with kind of the continuation of, of this good news. And if you look at the book of Romans, he says right there in chapter 1, verse 15, as he's introducing his heart for the people and what he wants to communicate to this church that he is 
really hoping to visit. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome. You believers, unbelievers too, Paul did that naturally wherever he was. Um, but he was also eager to preach the good news to this church in Rome. And as I work toward chapter 16, because I want to kind of end there and make a connection to our relationship with you and as it relates to the gospel. But you see in, in the first section there, and I'm not sure if you guys have recently studied Romans personally or as a church, but there's just this reality that, man, man has been for generations since Adam on been a, a self-centered, self-seeking individual that by nature is seeking full independence from his creator, wanting a green light to, to do whatever it is that he wants. And, and Paul here makes this case that, man, man's heart to please himself, to be his own God, has brought on this revelation of the wrath of God through an experience of death, an experience of consequences from sin. And, and to these believers at, at Rome here, he's laying out this case of, man, make sure that even you as believers understand what you brought to the table as it relates to your relationship with God. That we're people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There were people that believed that we are righteous as well. We want to make this case to the world that we have something right to offer God. And he kind of chops out every support that this, that this group of people listening were, were holding on to as believers and also for unbelievers to understand that God's necessary wrath towards sin and his his position against independence is something that is a, a fixed principle and that every human falls under that. Like he ends in chapter three with, and I say this so that every mouth would be shut before God. That I would, as an unbeliever or as a believer, come to understand that, man, before God, if I'm ever bringing something to him as, as something to, to justify myself or show some type of spiritual effort that's going to result in, in me being made right with him, that I just don't possess that as an identity or any type of capability. And so every mouth closed. And if you think of the religious systems around the world where we are reaching the unreached, every single one of those systems involves people bringing their best to God, bringing good works through their religious system or through their religious practices. And this gospel here completely undercuts all of that. And you can imagine the, the tension that is brought into a life and into a community when that clash of worldviews, which I would say God's worldview versus the worldview that it's coming up against, creates great tension. And so you guys know, and I think you've talked about how those things even carry into uh, a post-salvation, like a, a Christian life, that I, I still hang on to some 
old ways of thinking. And Paul is telling these Roman believers here, Gentiles and Jews, that, man, remember the cloth that you're cut from. Remember who you are. But then there's the incredible good news of God offering his son and his son willingly going to the cross and the ability now for this this reality to happen where God, for the person who has faith in Jesus, credits a person who is by nature unrighteous, credits them with just an incredible gift of his grace and puts righteousness to their account that wasn't there before. And again, it's, it's completely apart from works. It's, it's received by faith. It says there in chapter 4, verse 5, that the one who does not work but believes. And I've heard somebody say that believing is the one thing that you can do without doing anything. And the idea there is, is that there's no merit to that. It's a, just a, a recognition that I have no merit and that I, I put my faith in God's Son in this incredible gift of, of grace that God's provided through his son. And again, that, that gift of grace is something that's difficult for an unbeliever to receive, and it's often difficult for a believer to continue receiving, to continue to remember the freeness of the gospel. There's a cost as well, and we'll talk about that, but the the freeness of forgiveness because it's based on another person's work, that clashes up against the worldview of an unbeliever and the worldview of a believer at every turn. And here's Paul reminding these believers of that, that good news that there's this free gift of grace that's given to those who, who have faith in Jesus. Then um, the next few chapters, chapters 5 to 8, um, you guys have been talking, I've been listening a little bit to the, the series on the J-curve. That's, that's new lingo for me. Um, but a lot of the idea that's, that's being communicated as I understand what's been shared is this reality of entering into death and the result being, being new life. There's this, this new identity, this new realm or sphere of, of life that I now have as a believer in Christ that has brought these wonderful truths to my, my reality or my experience that no longer am I associated in Adam, I'm associated now with Christ, I'm in Christ. And man, the transformational truth, this, this in my life of, of Romans 6 the reality that I've actually been identified with the death and resurrection of Christ, that, that as it relates to the power of sin in my life, the, the stranglehold that it feels like sin sometimes can have on me as I come to understand that I'm actually dead to, to that reality, the, the authority that sin has in my life, has been a life-changing reality for me over the years that as I feel the pull to be enslaved to sin, I recognize and hold true that, no, I'm dead to that, that God has provided for me to walk in freedom from anything that is pulling me from, from my old life and that wonderful provision of the Holy Spirit to produce life where I could not produce life. And I know you guys are 
are familiar with that theme of like, I literally bring nothing to the table as far as provision for my problem. And there are church planners around the world that are diving deep into these passages with translation helpers, first of all, but then also with the church that they're, they're pouring their lives into. They're diving deep into, man, here's your new identity in the Lord Jesus. Here's what comes with being in Christ. And to see a thriving church, it's, it's connection with people at a relational level and at a discipleship level that pours into them the truths that God has, has poured into us. And just a blessing, a blessing to see God's provision. Then in Romans 9, 10, and 11, um, you just see Paul reiterate God's word has not failed. So his word toward Israel hasn't failed, and his word toward you, believers in Rome, and us who are reading it today, the promises he's made, and we sang about them this morning, he will fulfill them. And just that reminder that God is a God who makes covenants and and has made promises to his people, but there's also, on the other side of that, he, he warns the Gentiles there to not grow complacent or feel entitled to the grace that God has given them, that there's also that ability to grow proud or to grow into a sense of feeling, yeah, I I actually did deserve what God gave me. Dalton, been a missionary for 25 years. I've got, you start thinking that you have things to bring to the table and Paul warns the Gentiles there to Man, you've been grafted in by the grace of God, by the goodness of God through the life of his son. Don't become so proud that that you begin to feel that you've deserved it. And then there's the walk, right? Just the, the Romans 12 to 15 walk of the believer, that all these truths that impact us are to have feet put to them. And, and there's, a, there's a logical reasonable response to God's goodness that's going to result in me walking in love toward the believers in my life, caring about body life among the believers. And there's a love toward unbelievers. There's a love toward enemies. There's a respect for authority. There's a a setting down, a laying aside of my freedoms and liberties in Christ for the good of my fellow believers, and I'm not sure, and I won't have you answer this, but is Grace Bible Church a a thriving church? And it's something that needs, like, continual thought and, like, review, right? It's not something that's ever done and dusted. Um, And the same holds true for churches among people groups that the gospel is, is being heard by the first generation to hear it, that, that a thriving church is a church that's positioned to continue to grow in these things, continue to revisit God's grace and review through the teaching of the word, through the discipling of new believers, through the raising up of, of leaders in the church to review, are we thriving? Are we in this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we each enjoying growing fellowship with him 
and yielding to him as a logical response to that fellowship. And that's, that's where the challenge lies. And so there's just this continual work that God's doing in the church. And if you just look at Romans 15 and 16, um, it's just interesting that he spends so much time on the gospel in this letter, but he also spends so much time recognizing people that he knew were key to his ministry success and key not to his success, but key to the success of the gospel. That this just isn't and can never be a one-man show. So if you look at that, that chapter there of chapter 16, he starts off with commending this sister named Phoebe that was just a helper to so many. He mentions Prisca and Aquila in verse 3 there, talking about them as fellow workers in Christ Jesus. But he also says these are people who risked their necks for many and for me. And then he just goes through this list from verse 4 all the way down to verse 16 of, of people that he calls outstanding workers. He calls them fellow workers. He calls, them, he calls one guy a choice man. He calls them approved workers. And there's, there's this recognition that, that there are people that are connected to him and his ministry that he values so highly. And that's where I would just segue into our relationship with you guys. And then again, our relationship with our missionaries overseas. That, that this is a work that is done by the church. So we just recognize those names that I mentioned to you before are just a few from Grace Bible Church, like Paul Decker, Bill Gerhardt, Scott Moyer. Those are guys that we've been more consistently connected with over the years as, as missions team members. But we recognize, and we hope that you guys recognize, that we consider you guys like outstanding, hardworking, beloved co-workers of ours. That I might be the one that's doing the administrative work at the home office in that, that building right there. And if you guys know missionaries, if you've been mission, missionary, it's like herding cats. Um, have you remember that Super Bowl commercial where those guys, those ranchers are herding cats? Like, missionaries are just, they're moving all over the world. They're coming home to visit churches. They're heading back. They're coming home. There's a lot of movement, and, and we're just pouring our lives out to, like, keep track of them and make sure they're all good, that they can just keep doing what they're doing in their church planning ministries, that they don't have to think about some of the back-end logistics of what's going on. And, and we view that as, okay, we're going to pour ourselves out. We're going to not risk our necks as far as our lives are at risk, but pour our lives out and pour all of our efforts out to see this team of coworkers that's right now sitting in a, a jungle village in Papua New Guinea like the Buckners that we prayed for today. I'm not sure if they're actually there or if they're home, but there's others that are sitting in offices just slaving away at translation projects with local believers that are just helping them in a dynamic and faithful to the scriptures way be translating the word. And we want you guys to see yourselves right there, right part of that team because of your faithful partnership with us in our ministry. We're going to be here for the next three Sundays. Um, 
Looking forward to a couple of weeks in the area. We actually have Wawa in Florida, so it's not like a huge deal, but they are Pennsylvania Wawas, so we will be frequenting them. Happy to just be in the area, visiting with different individual supporters, and then happy to be with you guys for three Sundays and just praising God for the chance to be with this fellowship. Um, if you're not already on our list to connect with, we'd be happy to get coffee, breakfast, whatever you're interested in doing to, to reconnect. Um, but do want to just communicate with you guys our, our love and, and deep appreciation for our partnership in the gospel. And there's, a, there's a people group in West Africa as we speak that are for the first time with clarity hearing the Bible foundationally taught. And those are co-workers of ours that we work hard to support and would want you to know that throughout the year, there are three or four new people groups hearing the gospel for the first time every year, translation projects going to print because of the team effort of the body of Christ in this ongoing work of the gospel. Let me just close us in prayer and, and we'll move on. Lord God, we just thank you so much. I thank you for Grace Bible Church and just our connection with this church over the years. Just praise you for that faithful partnership and we just look to you for our ministry. We look to you for this church and the, the growth that's happening in each individual life and we just praise you for your faithfulness, just how you shine the spotlight of your word and your truth in areas of our lives to grow us and to conform us to your son's image. So we praise you for your goodness in that and commit the rest of the morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dalton. It's so good to have you and Sue and your family here today and for a couple weeks. It's great to see you. Thanks for sharing your word this morning. We're going to transition into a time of communion now. Um, if you're at home uh, worshiping with us online, now would be a good time to get